Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Orange Catholic Foundation Business and Ethics Series. My name is Rand Sperry. I'm the CEO of Sperry Commercial and Sperry Equities, which is a national real estate company. And always with me is my co-host for this program and also fellow co-chair uh, for the Conference on Business and Ethics, Randy Redwitz, who uh, is uh, associated with uh, the Redwitz and Company CPA firm, which actually is the largest independent CPA firm here in Orange County. And we're very excited to have uh, Beatrice Porta, Porto sorry, as our special guest today. And she's one of the three owners of the famous Porto's Bakery and Cafe chain. And Beatrice Porto, who also goes by the name Betty. And so if you don't mind, I'll call you Betty. <laughs> All right. And she... Okay, and she earned a bachelor's degree at Cal State LA and received her master's in political science at UCLA. After graduating, Betty helped with the expansion of her family's business and settled into her role as vice president and director of communications. Today, Betty works alongside hundreds of local organizations in an effort to give back to the community. She serves as an advisor on the Glendale Culinary Arts and Hospitality Management Program Committee and a panelist for Glendale Community College Culinary Program and the Glendale Advisory Board, among others. So over the years, Porto Family and Business has received numerous accolades. In 2016, Porto's received the Distinguished Elizabeth Burns Lifetime Achievement Award given by the California Restaurant Association. And at the same year, Yelp named Porto's the number one spot of the top 100 places to eat in the U.S., that's pretty much a, an amazing compliment, uh, accomplishment, by the way, Betty. Yeah. Most recently, Porto's was presented with the Robert Mondavi Wine and Food Award at Hospitality Uncorked in 2020. So welcome, Betty, and we're going to get started with a few questions, and uh, Randy will start it off. Betty, it's wonderful to, wonderful to have you. Thank you. First thing, I think, which is most natural is... Um, how did your family get started in Cuba and then transition to Los Angeles? Give us a little backdrop on, on, on your start. Yes, I mean, it was, it, it, it was hard times for us um, living in Cuba in the, you know, the beginning of the Castro regime, communism in 1961. My parents decided to leave the country. They wanted us to give us an opportunity to have freedom to practice religion, to have freedom of speech, and that was not possible in Cuba. And so they turned in their papers, and it took us almost eight years to get out. Wow. During those eight years, my father and mother were both let go from work. My dad was taken to a labor camp away from the house, so he wasn't around. And my mother was left home with three kids, and she needed to come up with a way of uh, supporting us because the government didn't care whether we lived or not, we were enemies of the state. So uh, neighbors and friends and family started saying, why don't you start making cakes for us? Because my mother was self-taught and she used to make cakes for us for our dolls, for our parties, so the, the neighbors knew. Right. So they told, why don't you start doing that as a way of surviving? So that's how she started making the cakes family and friends, but remember, she could not go to the markets and buy the ingredients. Oh, so okay. people would bring all the ingredients 
that they would get by their ration book. Oh. If we get the flour, the eggs, whatever she needed, and some other stuff, people bought in the black market, which oh. existed. So, and then when it came time to get paid, money meant nothing. So people would pay her with a chicken or beans or rice as food. It was a bartering system. Money meant nothing because you couldn't buy anything in the store. Now, during those eight years, our house was raided more than once by the secret police. But our neighbors were neighbors foremost. And so we would know they were coming. They would put whatever little equipment she had to the back wall and the neighbors would take it, the little bigster, little bit of you know baking pans or whatever. So she was never caught. If she would have been caught, it would have been 25 years in jail because private enterprise in a communist regime is illegal. I wow. couldn't. Yeah. Not it's very that. severe. Yes, very severe. So you know, then we get out in 1971. Finally, we come to America, and people would ask her, "How was it to come to America? Was it hard?" And she would laugh and say, "What are you talking about? I can go to a supermarket and get whatever I need. I no longer have to hide from the secret police." Sure. So you know, America was a land of milk and honey, and the opportunities were here for whoever wanted to. To grab them and, and, and work hard. So that's exactly how she gets started. Two months after getting to the United States, friends and family, immigrants all tend to go to the same areas. So yeah. we have friends and family from our time immigrants that knew of her work. And two months later, she was making a wedding cake. It took her two months to tweak all her residence. So two months later, she was making cakes. And that went on until 1976, where the operation got to be so big that she could no longer do it at the house. So she was making cakes at home. And my father and my brother were already helping her make the meat pies and potato bowls. We fixed the garage, put tables. So, I mean, we were doing all kinds of stuff to, to bring the, you know, the bring the bacon home. Like wow. Say. wow. Always, you know, working. And so 1976, for the first time, we opened in Sunset and Silver Lake maybe 280 square feet, little facility. She had to get an engineer, an architect. Now, the, the thing that people, I always tell people, keep in mind, my mother had an education. So she knew she needed an architect and an engineer. Okay. My mother also ran a business in Cuba, 12 men. It was a cigar company and she was like the CEO. So she did the vacation for only 12 guys, but. She did the numbers, the accounting. Okay. It was everything. So I think that has a lot to do with her upbringing and the fact that she was ready when she came to this country to take the challenge because she'd done it eight years under the worst of circumstances. And she had the business background. And so from day one, when we opened the little shop in Santa Zerbali, she was able to pay the rent I from day one which is the number one cost, business, water business. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know, is that enough? Is that- Incredible, interesting. Telling you stories about the beginnings. Well, we're gonna, yeah. we're gonna talk about the future later, but the beginning is incredibly fascinating. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we needed $5,000 loan to oh. open the business that we couldn't get one. And everywhere we went, we would ask for, you know, collaterals and she would say, if I had the $5,000, what would I come to you? 
So finally, our lucky day, a friend from our town in Cuba was a loan officer in Bank of America. So they took a chance because in those days in the 70s, you took a chance if you knew the person and he knew her work and her work ethics. So he took a chance and gave us the, the $5,000 that, that we needed to get started. But, you know, it, it was um, just, you know, everything kind of aligned and it all went our way. We didn't have employees. It was my mom, my dad worked at bandy camps. He would come out of work and help us. Then my brother and my sister at the high school would help. And my grandma, there was only family. There was no labor. She didn't have to pay anybody. So it was all profit. All the money that was coming in was being reinvested into the business. It was all any other employee. How many, how many locations uh, do you have now? So where are how you today? How many locations do we have now? So now we have six. Well, you know, we have Glendale, which we opened in the 1980 and 91. So Glendale, we have Burbank, Downey, West Covina, Buena Park. And like two months ago, we opened Northridge. Oh boy. So six bakeries. My goodness. I can tell you that um, I went onto your website and uh, I started to get hungry after looking at it. <laughs> Just amazing. I know there's a specialty. I looked at it a few weeks ago and there is a specialty pie or something that, that you make. Correct? Is that um, with meat in it? Um, so we have, believe it or not, after 50 years of being in business, we have an in intensive thing. 280 items, we have pastry chefs, we have bakers that are always coming out. As we're speaking, they're working in test kitchens to come up with new things. But till this day, the things that keep people coming back and keep people engaged, I still her recipes, meaning the meat pie that you're talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Her potato ball. Yeah. The guava pies, the chicken empanadas, all those things they call cats. She started with, but people come to us right now for two things mostly. All those things that I tell you, our number one seller is the cheese roll. So instead yeah. of having guava cheese, it's cheese roll by itself, and then it's the potato bowl, and then it's the meat pie. So Fine. still those five items that she began with, even though we have 280 things, mousses, mango mousses, chocolates, you know, tiramisu, we have, all kinds of empanadas. I mean, 200 items, bread from all over. That's the biggest draw. People come in because of that. And then they see the beautiful showcases and they're going to up their, their purchasing sure. Sure. and walk out of there purchasing 35 to $40. Oh my because goodness. They see how beautiful, how affordable everything is. And, you know, the quality of it. Well, no, Betty. You know, I, I have to, before I get on with my next question, I want to make a comment that is actually, it's a mind blower. And when I, I think of people across this country, especially those who were born here, um, a lot of people are very fearful. They're fearful to take chances yes. uh, in life and um, they settle as opposed to, you know, really reaching out uh, to be the best. And your mom, actually was baking, I guess we could call it underground in Cuba. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, with a potential 25 year prison Bill sentence Stevens. for baking goods. I mean, that is just, I. if I've learned anything on this podcast so far, 
it's how treacherous the Communist Party can be. Yes, and it, you know. So, um, so I want to make it's called survival. You, you go survival mode. You gotta survive. People in this country don't realize everything is handed down to them. They can do. They have it in their hands to do whatever. When you live yeah. in a communist country, you're taught a big lesson. And that yeah. lesson is how to survive and how to appreciate to come to a country like this. Yeah. You freedom to practice whatever religion you want to practice, or freedom to do whatever it is. It's only your hands. And yeah. it's possible, you know, because it was not only my mother, but also my grandmother that came before us. Sure. That was, you know, sewing and asking my mom for recipes. She was selling chicken and pies out of the house while she was sewing. So any immigrant that comes from those kind of circumstances, I think has the great chance of really making it big in this country. Because when we came here, remember there was no going back. Yeah. It's not like other immigrants that can say, oh, I don't like it here. Let me go back to my country. There was yeah. never going back. Yeah. If we went back, my father would have gone to jail. Well, it's called burn the boats. You're you're here. You're not going back. So, so speaking, speaking of your family, how do you uh, divide up the responsibilities in this organization that continues to grow as it has been? That's a big part of growth. You know, they said you got to conquer to divide. Uh -huh. We did that before we started growing. So, all that was was done in Glendale, first one. Well, my sister, my brother, and I decided to stay full time and not pursue our careers that we all went to the university for. We then started growing the business. So we went from being a, a mom and pop to something else. We were in a busy city now. Across from us, Security Pacific was there in the 80s. And, you know, again, supply and demand. They were asking for coffee, sandwiches. So we kept coming up with all this items in order to answer that demand. So growth begins when there's demand. There's demand from different people. Why don't you make coffee? So we start with regular coffee. And then we go to espresso. And we see how Starbucks comes in the picture and they're making all this money making coffee. And we're saying, well, why can't we make coffee? So you know, you start coming up with ideas and pretty soon you're making coffees. You have six sandwiches on the menu. And pretty soon there's so many people and the bigger complaint is the lines and the wait times. Then we realize we have to open other ones. But in order to do that, we need to divide the store in different areas. So my brother, my sister and I fell into our jobs naturally. It was organic. It was not forced. So my sister and I were working with my mother. I was a cake, wedding cake decorator. So it was my sister very talented, um, but I had a big mouth and I love to talk. My <laughs> father needed somebody in the front of the house because now we're getting American people to come in and not, not just minorities that spoke Spanish. So I was thrown to the front of the house, to the top, to talk to the customers and, you know, be in charge of sale. My sister remains with my mother, becoming faster and learning more, decorating. And my brother's in the back of the house, baking bread and baking all the other things that you need to bake. So we kind of fell into the jobs because I was the best one to do what I was doing. My brother loved baking bread. And my sister was a great decorator. So 
It just naturally happened. It was not something that we said, oh, you do that, you do that. It just, it just happened. And so <clears throat> once we become fully employed, we give my parents a vacation at 67 for the first time since coming to, from Cuba. Oh my goodness. And they got here in their 39 years of age. They go on a trip, they come back, the baker's still standing. So now they trust it. <laughs> and my brother, because he went to school for business and uh, economics, he becomes the driving force for the growth. He's a businessman. He's the one that go gets the, the, the properties, talks to the lawyers, you know, gets all these people, architects, engineers to help them with the growth. My sister's still in charge of the decorating apartment, but now she has the job of training people that are going to all the other stores. And I'm still in the front dealing with the nonprofit, doing stuff like this. So, you know, we just grew in our roles. But again, before we went to opening the next store, we were there full time. We divided the bakery into two areas, front of the house, back of the house. Front of the house is all the employees that help you. And that is the biggest department that we have. They're the salespeople. There's, that's the biggest department in the bakery. They have the whole bakery has one main manager, uh, but altogether there's three managers that run the front of the house. Just the people in the flunk, which is again the biggest department. Sure. Back of the house, there's only one main manager. But underneath every manager, there's supervisors. And underneath supervisors, there are the leads. And now the leads are the ones that run the ship. They're the ones that send people to lunch. They're the ones that move the line. And then other people, assistant supervisors, are taught to make schedules. Now, all that was done before we opened. So now all we do is repeat the same model. Front of the house, back of the house, so many managers here, so many managers in the back. Now the front of the house is one big area, but you have the cake department or the pickup or the pre-order department. Well, people pick up the orders that they place over the phone or, in, or before coming in person. Then do you have the people that are helping you? You have the coffee bar, which is part of the front of the house. And you have the order department so that people can come in and order. The back of the house, it's the ovens, the people that are actually making the muffins, the danish, the breads, the people that bake them, the ovens. Then you have the pastry chefs that do all the mousses and all the mangoes and the fruit tarts and all the fancy desserts. Then you also have the kitchen, which is like a business in itself that has supervisors and people that know about cooking that are in charge of just the kitchen. And there's a bunch of different people in there. You know, the, the one that has the kitchen, then there's a supervisor, and then the main manager who all these areas in the back answer to. But he has a lot of people underneath him because you can't control 300 something people with one person. You know, there's no manager good enough to run this place without having the right people underneath them. So it starts on the top and it starts splitting into more and more until you get to the employee. So you need all that. Because we have HR, we have an accounting department, and the HR keeps growing, the more employees we have, the more things we do for the employees, like, you know, we have medical, we have a 401k plan, all that takes more people working 
in the HR. So you do need to divide to conquer. You cannot yeah. just, you know, throw people in here. And even managers, like main managers, come to us with 10, 11 years experience. Goodness. Come from places and they still have to learn our ways. So the sure. first six weeks, they'll be um, guided by a manager who's there only to teach and also the person in charge of training. And he'll go through the bakery, the ovens, the back of the house, the coffee bar. So he needs to know all the areas that are gonna be under his command. So he, know, he knows what it takes. And he knows the hard work that each area requires and the people that are doing the work. So we teach him our way because we're unlike anybody else. And our sales are bigger than some of the stories that they're coming from. So they, they need to learn our ways. It doesn't matter if it's the regional manager or any kind of manager. We still, there's a six week program that they go through. So, you know, of course- So, they Betty, so Betty, I'd like to ask you, uh, could you give me a hand in my CPA firm and help me organize the front of the house, the back of the house? <laughs> you know, only, only people that know their business can do that for you. You gotta do it, you, you gotta, you know, we didn't know, we just, you know, when, when we started to grow, we started taking courses, we got an advisor, just paying attention, going to other places and, you know, see how other people were doing it. And there's a lot of information, books, courses, mentors out there that can help you do this. All you need to bring to the table is work ethics and a passion for what you do. Right. Everything right. else you can get. So if you true. Know what you do, you have a passion for you do. If you're always thinking about that passion being the number one and your customers being number one, don't worry so much about the money. The money will come in. That should be your main focus. It's service to your, to your customers, which is my thing. What really you know tickles me and what it really keeps me going through these long days and the long hours are to open a bakery like Northridge, go there and to see the following of people that we have on that day. We yep. open them and they come. And can only do through love for your food. And it just happens. And every time it happens, we're like, oh my God, we did this. How did we do it? You never get used to these crazy customers coming in and standing an hour at your doors. And the love that oh, we love you, thank you for coming to our to our city. It's just love all around. I mean, who gets to do that's my business. That's what I do every day. Take pictures of people, talk to people, and just get all this love. I mean, just you don't you don't take it for granted. Yeah. Appreciate it and you realize without them, you're really you're really nothing. It's a good segue into Randy's next question, I yeah. think, the growth and what have you. You know you yeah, you you know, you've um, built such an organization. It's so impressive to hear um, your organizational skill set there. But what's what are your obstacles for growth? I mean, what 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 are your aspirations for growth, and what are those obstacles to get well, there? Obstacles are just things that everybody will face in business. The, the thing with my brother is he doesn't wait for the obstacles to come here. He's ahead of the the game. Okay. For example, the, the, you know, um, it was mandated that we rec uh, we provided 
health insurance for employees. So we didn't wait for that. We had it before yeah. it was mandated because we knew it was key to retention. So that was done before it was demanded. We came up with a 401k. Why? Retention again. Yep. We don't wait for people to tell us what to do, how to retain our employees, how to work our business. You need to be on the forefront and you need to be ahead of the curve. You don't wait for things to happen to you. So whatever, you know, we knew the minimum was going up. We didn't complain and cry about the minimum. We set out to buy more, more machinery. How do we come up with, how do we get machines to make this incredible cheese roll that we sell by the millions, 10 million a month? How do we make them cheaper wow. without ever compromising in the quality? Because we use the top of the line butter, the top of the line cream cheese. So you, you never compromise on, on, on ingredients. On quality. How do we get machines to help us make something faster? We did that. So, you know, when the minimum went up, all our employees were already at minimum. We didn't go for the, wait for the 50 now to come in. We were there a year ahead. Oh my goodness. So we always try, you know what's coming down the great line and yep. you have to keep anticipating and yep. anticipate you, like everybody else, you know, that's our enemy, all the stuff that the government, you know, mandates, but we need to get ahead of them. You know, the, 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 the minimum going up right now with COVID, you know, nobody was ever prepared for something like like COVID where you supply chain is disrupted, where before people are fighting to sell you products and now you can't even get them in. That was, you know, during the COVID thing. So, you know, though COVID has been a, a huge learning curve. Yeah. But, you know, before COVID, we were not using any of the food platforms because we thought, oh, we're so busy, we can't do it. So COVID taught us to use the platforms. And so now, we're still using them. So we learned something that we didn't think we could do before. And now we're looking at, at ways of being open on those platforms all the time, instead of closing them when we're too busy, because we yeah. close them when we can't. So we are kind of, we're thinking about what to do, test kitchens inside you know, the bakeries to be able to, so to be able to take that on. So we learned how to do take home. We went in three days from dining in to take out. We had to change the whole computer system. And in three days, we were up and running. And then coming back, it was the same thing. We had to turn everything back and, and there were obstacles. Again, it's always best if you know something is coming, yep. you do, because yep. there's organizations that talk about, I'm sure, you know, the tax breaks are going higher, isn't that? Sure. You guys know that. And you inform your customers. Sure. So, we are always on top of what's coming and we try to be always ahead of the game. Don't wait for anybody to do anything for you. We didn't wait for the government to help us through the COVID crisis. We just went ahead and did everything we could to become, to still be self-reliant and to be ahead of the game. And, and do the none, of us, none of us could have ever predicted the uh, pandemic. No. But, but you mean, survived through it and that's, that's fabulous. We're so lucky because there's so many people that did not survive. So yep. again, another blessing. And again, it's all because our customers sure. stuck through this whole thing with us, doing takeout, doing bake at home. 
which is something that my brother did like five years ago with the help of other people. And we, we were doing 260 orders a day and then COVID hits and we go to doing over 3,000 orders a day. So wow. overnight, we had to shift people from the cake department to the bank at home because it was going through the roof. <laughs> amazing, okay. amazing. Uh, all right, we have one more question for you. This has been amazing. Um, as being part of, uh, you know, of the co-chair of the Business and Ethics Conference, we, uh, we have to ask you about the ethical side. Yes. So what ethical practices has your mom, Rosa Porto, instilled in the company? And how does that impact the workplace and community that you serve today? It's, I mean, her number one rule was work ethics. She didn't care what, you know, you could be doing dishes, you could do whatever. If you have work ethics and you came to work every day, you came every day on time, she would help you to become a baker, a cake decorator. So the sky's the limit. All you need to do is make a commitment to come to work every day. And that's what we install into, into our employees. Mm -hmm. You know, you can go to a fancy school to learn baking and afterwards we'll take you. Or we can also teach you if you have work ethics and that means respect for your work. That means you love your work. That means you, you, you learn how to work with other people. And you know, we have people from all over the world, from all over the religions working in the bakery. It's beautiful to go to your lunchroom and to see all these kids talking to each other and, and, and there's no borders to divide them. They, you know, the only thing that they have to care about is their work and, and the work ethics and, and, and giving of themselves to, you know, to your customer. The other thing that my mother always installed on us and so did my father was to give back, to give back to the community. And not only to give back to bigger places like, like we do now with Children's Hospital, but to give back to your employees, family, you know, whether they have a funeral or somebody sure. in the family needs a pair of, of shoes to do soccer, or to give back to boys and girls or smaller, you know, community-based uh, community uh, organizations which are duplicated in every city. So giving back to them is what you do when, when everybody gives to you. And it's the biggest, uh, the most rewarding thing that I do in my job. I get to touch so many people. Sometimes it's overwhelming because somebody, get, people just call my phone or send me an email. <laughs> they don't understand that I do donations for all these stores. So they call me today for a donation for Dubai. That's not gonna happen anymore. I need you know time. But my donation requests were from all the way from, I have customers that will call my mother's favorite thing was your cakes. Can you do a cake for the funeral? And we do that. But then oh we go to Children's Hospital. And you know, I started working with Children's Hospital through something so small like the mothers would ask me for cookies because their kids had cancer and they would be taken care of. So I started giving them cookies. Now we have campaigns that we do through sales of products that we get back to them and we already fixed up the ward, their room, that's the portal room. And we also do homelessness. So every day at the end of the day, every one of the stores is tied up to a nonprofit. The longest relationship is with the, the Los Angeles Union Rescue Mission. Okay. They pick up 
all my leftovers. And I'm talking about bread and milk and Spanish. So when I go to a mission, they're making sandwiches with my bread. People are having food with my food. And they also pass it on to brothers and sisters, brotherhood. They pass it on to so many other organizations. So every city comes to the bakery. When we open a bakery and call the city, they say, who do you recommend? We want somebody who's serious, somebody who's really wanting to help, not just anybody. And they usually recommend really good nonprofits. And we work with them not once a week, seven days a week. And this leftover in the showcases, and it's a lot because the showcases always have to look beautiful. Sure. To sure. So it's a great relationship. Well, Betty, I, I have to say we're just about out of time, but I, I just wrote a note here. And, and one of the things I, I worked at McDonald's years ago. Oh, wow. <laughs> when I was a teenager. So that was only 10, 10 years ago. Our anyway. manager is from McDonald's. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> 200 uh, McDonald's. See, oh, one, of the, one of the things that really drove me crazy is at the end of the day, they threw the food out. Yeah. And I thought there's other ways yeah. to... To dispose of this food other than to throw it in the trash. Most people throw it away because they're afraid of lawsuits and making Well, your mother was in, wasn't afraid of getting arrested for 25 years. <laughs> no. I doubt she no, was worried so, about so, giving the food away. Yeah. So, I, so I applaud you and Portland's Bakery yes, for doing that. We, we do it. We give it away every day. And it makes you feel so good not to waste food. Oh, it's my goodness. Yeah. To throw it away. Indeed. So, uh, that tells the story, you know, I think. And and uh, I'll go ahead, Randy. No, I was just going to say, Betty, you fell into the right occupation within yes. your within your family's company. <laughs> yes, you are you are an incredible spokesperson for the for the company. Thank you. Yeah. Thank and, you. I was speaking when I was five years old. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're we're honored to have you on as a guest, Thank and you. we absolutely enjoyed this. And we wish you the best in in future success of Portos, and I hope to see a few here in. Uh, Orange County, maybe Irvine, hint, hint. Yes, uh, indeed. <laughs> so uh, thank you for coming on. And for our viewers out there, again, we were, we're speaking to Betty Porto of Porto's Bakery and Cafe. And um, we just want to remind everybody, uh, April 21st of 2023, we're going to have our 20th uh, anniversary of the Business and Ethics Conference. And so save the date. It'll be a Friday morning. And we look forward to seeing people at that next year. And again, thank you, Betty, for being on. Thank you. Thank you very much, Betty. Thank you. It was a great honor. And I want to say hi to all my customers out there that are watching. We Absolutely. Love you. Go ahead. Sure. Thank you. Take, take thank care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.